Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on April 25th, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is The Corruption of the People and discusses Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site, hopereformedli.net, and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. So, we're still going to be discussing mountains. We spoke last week about Christ's... uh, Death and his resurrection we dealt with. We dealt with the resurrection first. And then the previous week we spoke about the burial of Jesus. And now this week we're going to finish up that section of how Christ's death, burial, and resurrection relate to mountains. Talking with, about the ascension. And then we'll move on. Uh, in our text from there. So, let's pray, and then we'll get into our text, into our study at least. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, as we always do, that we could gather together as your people, that you have made us a people, that you have made us that holy nation, that royal priesthood, Father God. We, we thank you that you've called us each by name, Lord, and loved us before we were even formed, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the grace that you've shown to us, the mercy, for sending your Son to die on our behalf, and sending your Spirit, Lord, to guide us and teach us, Father, to lead us. And we pray that through your Spirit you would illumine the text to us, Father, that you would make us and mold us into the image of your beloved Son, that we might learn more about you, about this world that you've made, Father, and through that understanding that we would know how to behave in it, how to think about it, Father God. We pray that we would take the things that we learn and apply them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, and like I said, so we've been talking about mountains. We're doing an extended study, I guess, on mountains And there's still so much more to say about them. God talks about mountains a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. But in light of Easter, we were discussing the way that Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension uh, relate to the mountains. So, who remembers how Christ's burial relates to mountains? Go ahead. All right, so you, you have the tomb. No, I have mm-hmm. uh, And the tomb is, is uh, uh, I guess you could say it's, it's a passageway to the, the nether. The nether world? The sure, nether yeah. World, right? right, it's Sheol, the grave. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And what is that in relation to a mountain? That would be the, well, the, the roots of the mountain. That's right, the roots of the mountain. They go into the earth, yeah. into the nether world, into the nether regions. And... What did Christ accomplish in terms of his 
burial as it relates to those mountains, as it relates to that netherworld, the roots of the mountains? Yes, yeah, that's right. So he defeated the, the grave, right? Now the grave holds no terror for us, right? Once the thing that held men in bondage and held men captive holds us thus no longer, right? So, go ahead. Did he not minister to them when he was in the Yeah, he preached to them. Yeah, he did. He did preach to the spirits in rebellion, it says in Peter, right? And I'm sure he ministered to the those who died in faith as well. And he did say to that uh, thief that died with him that he was going to be with him in paradise that very day, right? So then we went and we looked at the land and realm of men, right? That Middle Earth section. And that dealt with the resurrection, really, right? When Christ came up out of the tomb and entered again into the realm of the living. You had a dead man, a man that went into Sheol, went into the grave, went into the Hades, the under, underworld, and came up out of it. Right? And what did we say about his resurrection? Yeah, that uh, Christ was given all authority at that point. When he entered into the land of men, he went entered into it as a conqueror, right? <coughs> all authority was given to him in heaven and on earth. The apostles make much of the resurrection, right, when they preach to people. As you read Acts and you, you read how they present the gospel to those in synagogues and even the heathens, they speak much of the resurrection, right? Because the resurrection shows forth Christ's lordship. We make it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ is Lord. Good. That's right. That's right. Having fulfilled the, the uh, demand, now just, just uh, reclaim it. Yes. Yep. Christ reclaimed the earth from the old Adam, right? The one who had lost, lost his position, if you could call it that, right? Because Adam was the first lord of the earth, right? He was given dominion over everything. Everything was um, under Adam's Kingship, I suppose you could say. What would have been under Adam's kingship had he remained a good and faithful king under the high king, under God. But he failed. And so his, his dominion wasn't fully taken from him. He was still made in the image of God. He was still given the task of subduing the earth. 
but it was going to fight him at every turn, right? It, he lost some of his uh, power, I suppose you could say. But Christ, I mean, as a matter of fact, Adam didn't even have Adam's descendants. So when we say Adam, we just mean man. Men didn't really have full dominion even over themselves. They were put under authority, right? They were put under the authority of angelic beings. And we see this all over the Old Testament. Specifically, you see it in Daniel, like 10, I believe, right, 11, somewhere around there, where it talks about the, the prince of uh, Persia, etc., opposing the angel that was bringing the message to Daniel. We see it in the prophecies of Isaiah and the like, where when addressing Tyre, the prophet calls out Satan directly. We see it from Satan himself saying to Jesus, all these kingdoms have been given to me, and I can give them to whomever I want. Just kneel before me and I'll give them to you, right? Trying to get Christ to take the shortcut, take the short way, not go to the cross. Just bow to Satan. And he would get everything that his father had promised him without suffering, right? But when he did suffer, when he did die as a reward, when he was raised, he was given all authority. And as we said, uh, quoting Doug Wilson, when Christ came up out of the ground, he dragged all of creation with him into new life. Right? He says in the book of the Revelation, he's making all things new. And he is. He is uniting the heavens and the earth as it was supposed to be in the beginning. Right? And the church is the first fruits of that. Right? The, we are that beginning of that new creation. So we're told that creation itself groans, waiting for the day of redemption of the believers. So, the resurrection is quite a big deal. It's the central focus of the apostolic gospel. And then we looked at the death of Christ, the thing that is the central focus of our gospel, right? And that's where we saw Christ being suspended in the air at the top of the mountain, into, in the presence, into the realm of the angelic beings and the spirits, the gods, small g, right, of the nations. He put them to open shame. He disarmed them, right? That's what we saw there. Who remembers how he disarmed them? What was, like, some of the things we said about that disarmament of the devil? Yeah, he took away the power of the wall. That's right. He took away man's sin. He became sin on our behalf. So the devil can no longer accuse us, well, accuse us of sinning to God, right? He can't go before God and say, look at this sinner. Why do you show him favor, you know, etc. So when we are opposed by Satan and when we do sin, we have an advocate, Right? That's very important to remember. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
So now we're going to talk about a little bit about the ascension. Why is the ascension not part of our gospel? When we present the gospel to people, how many have ever spoken about the ascension? Yeah, all right, we have one person. <laughs> no, but really, what's so important about the ascension? Like, why did Jesus say to Mary, don't cling to me, I have not yet ascended to my Father? What's, what's the big deal? I mean, he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, right? I mean, he is God after all. Didn't he always have all authority in heaven and on earth? The ascension is merely just proof. It's just proving that he what? Well, that's more than proof. I mean, it did happen, but it is also proof. Proof of what? Acceptance of, of his uh, sacrifice. What's greater proof? Him walking around or him being invisible, being gone? Well, also he separated himself, and he's also seated at the right hand. So... He's accepted by the Father. He's seated with the Father. And he's separated. He's holy. Um, so okay. That was significant. It is significant. It is. He is separate. He is holy. Sure, we want, should we read that section? It's a good section to read. Daniel 4, right? I believe it's 4 or 7, somewhere over there. We'll go there, and then we'll see. It is definitely not 4. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Seven, right? Yes, seven. Okay. You know what's also interesting about this section? Um, as we read it, you can think about this. R.C. Sproul and others, uh, James White, many people, they, they describe the one that's being seen in this vision as a heavenly being. And they understand that when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's talking, you know, he's referring to this section here of um, Daniel. And that it's a heavenly title. But I don't think that's accurate. Let's look at it and, and, and see if we could puzzle out our way through this. All right. We're going to begin in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came up one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days. And was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, 
and the visions of my head alarmed me. We're going to skip ahead because we... I'm in chapter 7. Seven thirteen. I, I said not not four. It's definitely not four. <laughs> it's it's seven. It's seven. Yes. The second time around, I was yes. All right. Fours look like sevens sometimes. What are you gonna do? <laughs> All right. So we're gonna skip ahead now to um, Daniel. It is a rough morning. I didn't finish this coffee. It's too hot. These cups are really good, man. They really hold the heat in. Make it undrinkable. Okay. Um, Let's see here. Where are we going to skip ahead to? Let's go to verse 25. Um, No. Let's go to verse... Yeah, we're going to do half the... Forget it. We're starting at 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. That's that little horn which we didn't read about. Um, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And they shall think to change, um, sorry, and he shall think to uh, change the times and law. And they shall be given into his hand. That's the saints given into the hand of this one who is the little horn. For time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away. And to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom, this is the part that we really want to focus on, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. All right. So, that's what, that's a, front row seat of the ascension, right? Daniel was privileged to see Christ ascend, right? He didn't see when this would happen, per se, but he did see that during the time of this fourth beast, this Roman Empire, one like the Son of Man would come up to the Ancient of Days and would be presented before him, and to him dominion was given and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And it's to be an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Right? So, that's a pretty big deal. Right? <laughs> uh, it's the biggest of deals. Now, what's. Okay, I'm going to get myself into some trouble here. But I think it needs to be done. All right. I've spoken with uh, many people of many different eschatologies. Okay. And I'm only going to single out one intentionally. The historic premillennial position has an understanding that Christ must descend. He must come again and have a physical seat in Jerusalem in order to reign over the entire earth, right? What's more powerful, a throne in heaven or a throne on the earth? A throne in heaven would be more powerful, right? It's the, as Jim Jordan would say, the control room of the earth, right? It's the place where the earth itself receives its orders. 
the very winds receive their orders, etc. Right? One thing that I think that we need to fully realize and understand, one thing that I've been pressing this entire study of the book of Micah is that the heavenly reality is more real than the earthly reality. You know what I mean? The earth receives its substance and meaning from heaven. Who is primary? The spirit or the earth? You know, which is, which is more primary? Well, God, right? He started all of this. So obviously, his reality is he is more real than this. Yes? He gave this reality. He actuated this world. So, the spiritual's primary. It comes first. It's more actual. It's more real. It gives this life actuality. This world actuality. We're told to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, right? Those things sound like lovely platitudes to us, but my neighbor down the street has a Mercedes-Benz and really nice stuff, and I have nothing, and it stinks, right? No, really, that's the attitude a lot of times. Why? Because to us, this world is more real, right? Good. I was just going to use the analogy of the sun. The light from the sun is what gives the moon light. Yes. So the, the That's a good analogy. Yeah, exactly. Right. The light from the sun is what gives the moon its light, so right? Light, light from heaven, if you will, right. is what gives, gives us. Right. Yes. That's absolutely correct. The light from the sun gives the moon its light. So when we look at the light of the moon, which is more real, the light of the sun or the light of the moon? The light of the sun, obviously, right? Shines brighter, the whole line. Well, because it's primary. It comes first in the order of things. So Paul tells us to set our mind on things that are above, right? That also sounds like a lovely platitude and just simply abstract. But then he tells us other things. Here, I'll show you. This is a little off topic, but I think these things are important as we walk through this. No, seriously, I do, because like, I'm trying to get people to understand this. Jacob recommended an excellent book, right? That, um, what's the name of that book? Ideas Have Consequences, yes. Excellent book. Everyone should read it. It's hard to read, though. It's dense. It is very dense. But it's a good book. Huh? I said if it's hard for you. It's just, it's, no, I'm just saying in general, it's a difficult book because he deals with difficult ideas. You know what I mean? Um, I, things that we don't normally think about. Yeah. But anyways, um, Richard Weaver, yes, thank you very much. Richard Weaver, Ideas Have Consequences. Great book. Excellent. Wonderful. He talks about the, the state of the world after World War II and He understood where we were headed. He understood that we would get to this place where we are right now. He was a prophet, as it were. He understood the consequences of those ideas. And what he understood was his fix, his solution, was to get back to what he called the transcendentals. Right? 
a restoration of the transcendentals. And what we're going to read right now in Philippians chapter 4, I think. Good. I was. I was going to go to get to a chapter 4 eventually. And we were in Micah chapter 4. I think that's what, why I, that came out of my mouth. Anyways, but in, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See what he does there? Tell me, physically, what physically, what, what materially, is probably a better way to say that, is truth. What materially is honorable? What materially is just? What materially is pure, as he would mean pure, <laughs> or beautiful, lovely? What's, what, what, what does that mean materially? All these things are transcendentals. All these things are ideas. They're ideals. They're not physical things. Physical things can have these characteristics, but they aren't these things, right? How do you weigh beauty or truth or honor? How do you measure it? Can you put it in a scale? No. no. Go ahead. There's only one way, okay? Uh, and going a little bit off maybe, and that would be the example of Christ. That those characteristics, those uh, ultimate, all true characteristics mm-hmm. could only be measured by Christ. Sure. But can you take... Right, right. These things are immaterial. Right. right. These things are ideals. They are transcendentals. And we can look at the physical world and we can see things that are beautiful. We can see things that are true, that are honorable. But they're embodying something that is not physical, right? They're reflecting the spiritual realities that God built into the world, his own characteristics that he built into the world. We can see God in the world. Yes, very much. We spoke about this, right? And that's, that's very important. And we should. And we should give God praise and glory for it. You know? So when we see a beautiful flower, right? when we see something, we can praise God for his wisdom, but we can praise God for his beauty because that flower reflects some of God's beauty, albeit imperfectly. Right? We can give all the glory and all the praise back to God. That's what part of... Uh, that's part of what being his image means, right? Reflecting the praises of all creation back to God, as uh, to Wright would say it. Those are good and important things. Um, but yes, these are the things that we're to think about. So when Paul says something like, all things are yours, right? All things. All things are yours. I mean, Oh man, I'm gonna. We're gonna go way off topic, but I guess it's kind of important. Um, we'll get through the ascension at least. I was hoping to get back into the 
the normal flow of the text, but that's okay. These things are good, and these things are quite important, because this is the realm where Christ ascended to, right? Christ ascended to, the, I should probably do this before people think I'm going way off topic. Okay. Christ ascended into the heavens. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's in the place that gives this world meaning. That flower is beautiful. It's lovely, right? That means that it's receiving its beauty. It's receiving its loveliness from the heavenly. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. Good. Sure. Because the flesh craves, the flesh wants. It desires and doesn't have, and so it makes war, as James would have it, right? The J.R. Tolkien wrote a, uh, an essay and gave a presentation at uh, I don't know, some natural museum in England at the time on dragons, right? It's very interesting. And in his presentation on dragons, what he said about dragons was that they have a desire to possess beautiful things, right? They want to hoard beautiful things. And it takes heroes to kill dragons, obviously. Oftentimes, standing alone is how he put it. When everybody runs away. Who does that sound like? That sounds like Jesus, right? Everybody, all, he was left by everybody. He, everyone ran away. All his followers, they left. And he was left alone at the cost of his own life because that's what happens to heroes. To face down the dragon and defeat it all by his lonesome, right? And he did. And now he's the model for every great story. He's the model for every great hero, that self-sacrifice, etc., as you said, he is the one that we look to for honor, truth, nobility, beauty, etc. Right. So those things are quite important. But anyways, dragons have a desire to possess these beautiful things. But in this life, there's a couple things that, that happen to beautiful things. Right. Number one, moth and rust destroy them. Flowers fade. They're beautiful for a time. They're beautiful for a season. Because remember, these things are not beauty. They merely reflect it. They're not the sun. They're the moon. Right? They're merely just reflections, just shadows of true beauty. The beauty that we should be desiring to possess is that true beauty. Every Christian's desire should be what the ancients called the beatific vision, right? Seeing the face of God, the one who is truly beautiful, right? And there are glimmers here and there, as we said, when we do look at those things, and they are beautiful, you might get a flash, just a glimmer, but it's not the reality, you know what I mean? It's merely just a shadow, so our desiring to possess mere shadows, what happens if you try to grab a shadow? You can't, right? It just goes right through the hand. It's like trying to, as the author of Ecclesiastes says, grab the wind. 
right? That's what he's talking about. You can't do it. It's vain. It's vanity to try. You know? Exactly. (laughs) So, our desires do need to be, our minds do need to be set on the things that are above. And all things are ours in so much as they reflect God. We, our possession is a heavenly possession. We can look at this world and we can see God in it. That's more than anyone who possesses can do. You know what I'm saying? Okay, good. Because this is, hold on one second, I'm sorry. Because this is very important. The reason that it's ours, the reason we can do this, is because Christ is in heaven. Because he ascended to heavens and he sent his spirit to this earth. He's given us a measure of that heavenly reality. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. I haven't even touched my notes yet. This is dangerous. Sorry. Um, go ahead, Anthony. I was going to say beauty is derivative. It's found in origin in God. So everything right. that you see down here is derived from there. So rather than hold on to what's here, you can look at it and appreciate it. And as Christians, we're, we're in union with the one who, who is beauty, who is true, who is... Exactly. It's not just a reflection. Exactly. Everything we see here has its origin, its source in God. That is absolutely correct. So, after rising, he ascended to the highest heaven, right? He ascended on a mountain, and he ascended to the highest of heavens and sat down at the right hand of God. And what's most wonderful about this is he brought us up to sit with him. Remember what we read in Daniel? You don't have to turn there. I'm going to turn there real quick and just show you what I'm talking about. This is one of the most amazing parts of this whole thing. In the vision, he saw one like the Son of Man coming up to the Ancient of Days. And in the interpretation, he sees this, or he's told this, right? The court shall sit in judgment... And the dominion of that little horn will be taken away and consumed and destroyed to the end. And then he says this, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all his dominions shall serve and obey him. Right? So, what Christ gained... We gain the saints of the Most High gain, the people of the saints. Of the, why is that? This is a simple one. It's not a trick question. We, we were given to him by the Father. What's that? We were given to him by the Father. We were given to him by the Father, but then why do we get everything, too? We are heirs. That's exactly correct. We inherit with Christ. Because we are, there's another picture that's used as well. Huh? The bride of Christ, right? The two shall become one flesh. That mystery is great when he's speaking of Christ in the church, when he says it. So everything that Christ has, we have. Where Christ is, we are. Where we are, he is. So, he brought us up to sit with him in the place 
Now, this is, this is very interesting to, must be understood, because this goes back to exactly what we just read. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord, what we are going through, I should say, I don't know if we read it actually today. It, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Remember, we're talking about that top of the mountain, that heavenly place. Now, that's where Christ ascended to, right? That top of the mountain, that, the dwelling place of the gods. He took us up there with him, you know, as Paul says, we're seated with him in the heavenly places, brought us up to sit in the place that the gods once dwelt, right? We replaced them. Dominion was restored to man. Remember the angels had dominion over the created order, over the nations, over the kingdoms of the earth. Now that has been taken from them by Christ and given to the saints of the Most High, as he put it. We sit in that place. Didn't Paul say, and we shall judge angels? What's he talking about but this? Okay. So, uh, let's see. There we go. Yes. Uh, Ephesians covers this extensively. Ephesians 1, 20 to 2, 6, I suppose we could say. And then... One of my favorite passages that we'll read real quick uh, to make it pretty clear. And we'll tie this back into our where we are in the text and then move on from here next week. So this actually kind of works out very well. It all flows together. So in Hebrews 12, in verse 18, we see this, right? This is the place where Christ takes us. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. Do you know what he's talking about there? Hopefully you do. Sinai, right? The giving of the law. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come, we didn't come to that mountain, we came to this one. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So, that's the place where we have come. See how he says it? You have come. This is past tense to the believers. This is a place where we gather. We gather in the heavenlies. We sit with Christ in the heavenlies. When we go into church today, this is where we'll be. That's important to remember as well, you know. But before, under the Old Covenant, men couldn't approach that holy mountain, that sacred mountain, right, at risk of being killed. Under pain of death, they were not even allowed to so much as touch that mountain. But let's go back to our text and see what it says. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, 
and shall be lifted up above the hills. And what does it say? And people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. See what it says? See what Christ accomplished when he ascended into the heavens? He allowed us to approach God. Right? He's there now as our mediator. That sprinkled blood that the author of the Hebrews talks about that speaks a better word than Abel's blood. What do you think it's doing? What do you think Christ sprinkled? Anyways, should start from there. What is, it, what is he talking about, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word? What do you think that means? Who knows their Old and New Testament? Good. Yeah, the high priest would go in once a year to the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, right? And where did Christ ascend to? The true Holy of Holies. Remember what we're told? We're told that the earthly tabernacle was patterned, was merely patterned after the heavenly. So, again, the heavenly is the true. The earthly is merely just a pattern, a copy a shadow of the true. Christ ascended into the true Holy of Holies where he presented himself before the Father as our mediator. He's sprinkled blood, you know, truly takes away our sins, covers us. So, that's the better word because what did blood, Abel's blood say? It cried out for vengeance. Yes, it cried out for justice. Anyways, so, because of this, now we can go to where Christ is, or we are uh, placed where Christ is placed, and all the nations flow to that mountain, to the mountain that was once so unapproachable that even animals were to be shot if they touched it. It's a beautiful thing, that ascension. It's a thing that we should praise God for and celebrate. You know, It should be one of the centerpieces of our liturgy and our worship, right? So, any comments, questions, or thoughts? No? Nothing? Everybody's got it? There will be a quiz next week. (laughs) All right. So, let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Oh, Lord God, you are our great God, our Savior, and our King. We thank you, Lord, that we are united to Christ truly, and that we are seated with him even in the heavenly places. Truly, Lord, we praise you that we can approach your throne of grace, Father, without fear, because of what Christ accomplished. And Lord, as we do ascend into the heavenly places to worship you, to pay homage to you, to petition you, Father, we pray, Lord, that our worship would be pleasing to you, that you would be glorified and magnified, Father, that Christ would be adored and exalted in our worship today. And as we dine with you, Lord, on the body and the blood of of our Savior, that you would 
see us in Christ and remember us, Father God. That you would hear our prayers and respond. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.